Hello and welcome to the Big Happy Life podcast. I'm Natalie Britt and I'm a coach, trainer and hypnotherapist. Lately, I've been expanding my business in the online space, so spending a lot more time on Facebook and Instagram and connecting with lots of amazing people, a lot of whom do the same work as I do but often for different audiences or for different reasons. And so as part of all of that connecting with different people and networking, I connected with fellow coach Melinda Burkhart, who works with parents of differently abled children in order to help them be more intentional about how they show up for themselves, how they show up for their kids and how they create life in potentially very difficult circumstances. So in terms of the goals of this podcast, to feel more in control, to weather the tough stuff, and to be great role models for our kids, I thought she was the perfect guest. And our conversation didn't disappoint. So here it is. Well, so the reason that I wanted to chat to you is because I saw your post about helping moms who have differently abled children um, and kind of helping them with stress and overwhelm and and managing life really um yeah it, it's really challenging and so the I guess the first question I really want to ask is is why that what got you into that, that line of work so I have been in healthcare for a number of years for almost over 25 almost 30 years so I myself had a very severe head injury and I have learning differences because of that. I was thrown from a vehicle at a young age in a, in a motor vehicle accident, have a scar like opened my mouth up to my temple. Um, yeah, it was crazy, was in a coma. Like, so working through that, I had these differences in learning and how I took in information as well as just being overstimulated by different things. Back when I was a kid, there wasn't as many services around to facilitate and to help with that. So being in healthcare now, especially over these past couple of years where it's been very challenging, I have just been using different strategies with parents from different trainings that I had been through. And I've been trained in, in various modalities, um, neuro-linguistic programming, uh, different forms of coaching on emotional intelligence and mindfulness. And so I was naturally bringing those into my work with parents just because of the need. Mm. So I've taken, it's a compilation of what's actually been working with families that I've been working with over the years. It's also a compilation of like different coaching modalities that I've been trained in. Sounds great. Sounds great. So I look forward to hearing more about that. The thing I want to ask you just before we get to that though, is with the families that you work with, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things you find are behind the overwhelm? Because what I find is that sometimes people, people will say, well, you know, it's because like there's not enough time or, um, because my child is so demanding that I, I can barely think straight and they'll put the the emphasis on the external but usually once we dig a little deeper we find that there's something else underneath that that causes the external to feel so overwhelming have you found that to be the case and if so what do you find that's usually underneath that 
and that that's the thing you end up working with? What I usually find is that we as adults, as parents, we bring in a lot of expectations that we don't even realize we have. Mm -hmm. And they may be social expectations. um, Oh, you know, Johnny down the street is able to do that and my kiddo isn't. Or my nephew can do that. Or my other child can do this. But this child is having Mm -hmm. trouble. Um, it's, It's a compilation of that bringing expectations into the now, right? Into what's going on now or... That plus there may be a trigger that, you know, that we've received possibly like when I was five years old, my dad said X, right? So now I'm super highly sensitive to that, but I don't even know it, right? Because it's so my normal everyday working that I don't even see it as something I'm sensitive about. So now when my kiddo does it, I end up adding on top of those expectations of Johnny down the street and my kiddo not being Johnny. Also, my triggers from my triggers (laughs) from when I was five, I'm bringing with me and then I'm blowing up at my kids. And it's not their, my blow up has nothing to do with them. Yeah. It has nothing to do with them spilling the milk or them not, you know, performing the tasks that I asked them to perform. It has everything to do with about me and, and my trigger from when I was a kid that I don't even know I have. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Oh my God. So true. You know, we were at a party, my son's friend turned seven, um, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And the party was amazing. It was a little disco. They had a DJ and he was entertaining. So lovely. The kids. I love and that. they were having such a good time. This guy was amazing. And he really entertained them. The kids were laughing so much and having a wonderful time. And then he finished the day. He finished the party with getting, he got all the parents up and all the kids. And we all had to do the hokey cokey. But there was one kid there <laughs> uh-huh. because of his condition he has a, a frame that he holds on to because he's not able to walk um, unassisted. Yes. So doing the hokey cokey wasn't something that he was able to participate in in the same way as the other children. And he started crying. And it makes me emotional thinking about it. I came home and I ended up crying about it. And I found myself thinking, how would I feel as his mom? Because she was clearly... Like she was doing everything she needed to do so that he could take part. Like she carried him, taking him into the group and, you know, oh, the hokey cokey. And she's dragging him in and pulling him out and, you know, trying to pick him up. But I could sense from her how upsetting or how frustrating something like that can be, that it's not a straightforward, like nobody, nobody else would even think about it. It wouldn't enter their heads. And it wouldn't, it didn't enter his. And I could see the guy who'd arranged this thing realizing the situation that he had created and doing his best to include this boy. But I guess where I'm going with this is just coming back to what you said about the triggers. Because for me, the feeling of being left out was one, it 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 gets me. And to see the hurt on that boy's face 
and to see how frustrated he was at being left out and not being able to participate, just the same as everybody else, was devastating for him. And it was like, it was gut-wrenching for me, and I don't even know him. So I can totally understand how for a parent, the tiniest little, almost insignificant things can have a massive impact. And then it doesn't take an awful lot if you're already in that emotional state and then Johnny spills the milk, you know. It's like these kinds of things, it's very easy to feel stressed over small things when the underlying stress is constantly there, when the little things of everyday life Absolutely. are just not little, they're not simple. They're not simple and they're not little. And and mm. what I really focus on is to give ourselves grace. We are human, <laughs> you know? And as human beings, we are hardwired towards the negative. We have, to, we had to be. We just had to be, right? So, you know, there's that bush over there and there's this tan thing in it. Like hardwiring of human nature is, I need to be negative towards that bush because there's possibly a lion in it. So I can say, oh my gosh, I'm going to act like there's a lion and I'm going to either not walk by the bush or whatever. And I live, Hmm. woohoo, or (laughs) I'm going to ignore my internal, like my internal want to be negative and say, oh, it's just a bush. I'm everything's good. All the animals are happy and I'm going to walk, walk by and then bam, I die. So our brains are hardwired to that. So nowadays, when it is a bill, when it is work stress, when it is the clothes on the floor for the billionth time, when it is the laundry that's overflowing, when it is, oh my God, dinner, and I don't even know what I'm cooking yet. All those realities trigger in us the same reactions as if there was a lion in that bush. Mm. Our brains don't know any different. So our cortisol levels are going up. Our fight or flight reaction is being triggered. And we don't realize that typically that because it isn't a tiger. It isn't some, you know, person with the knife chasing us down the street. It is just work. Mm-hmm. It is just laundry. And we're so hard on ourselves. But the reality is, is that that's how human beings are. So really, it's like, give ourselves grace. And the trick is to look at it in a different way, to reframe it. Mm-hmm. And just to, to not, when we learn, and it's not, it's easy to say, but in practice, obviously, it's something, it's, it's a work. It's a work in progress, right? Because we have to retrain how we respond instead of react, right? Mm -hmm. We're training our brains, how we're responding to different things. Um, And that takes a bit of time to do it consistently. Mm -hmm. But then when we get better at it, it's like riding a bike. The more you do it, the better you get. And then those reactions are not so overwhelming because when we get there, you know, then it's really easy to continue that downward spiral just because, But once we get there and then we're like, oh, whoa, 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 okay, boom, I'm going to get off this bike. I'm going to get on, you know, this path. Mm -hmm. Now I'm more centered. Now I'm more calm. From this place, I can respond 
the way I want to for my kiddo, or I can speak with that mom at the party, or I can maybe go over to the DJ person and say, hey, here's a song. Can we do it right after the hokey pokey for my, for my kid? And it focuses, you know, there's so many different things, but from that space, then we're able to think of all the different things because when we're stressed, nobody can think straight when they're stressed. Hmm. It is, it is like, you're just literally, you're just, I don't know if you felt this way, but you're just like trying to stay afloat. Like sometimes I've been so stressed. It's just like, you're just, you're just like feeling like you're treading water and your mouth is barely above the surface of the water. Yeah. I found there was, um, there's a, a psychologist, um, I think he's developmental psychologist. His name's Dan Siegel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard his his um, explanation of the upstairs and the downstairs brain. Uh, yes. I love that. I love that because when he talks about, like my children are both adopted. And so a lot of Dan Siegel's work. Um, I'm adopted as well. Oh, cool. Um, so we did um, a lot of training in relation to um, becoming adoptive parents and Dan Siegel's work features quite heavily. And so one of the things they taught us about was Imagine that you're standing downstairs and the um, you're in the house and the alarm is sounding. So it's like, the, but to switch off the alarm, you have to go upstairs, but there's a stair gate and you are locked downstairs. So you can't get to the alarm and it's, it's sounding. Um, so you first have to be able to figure out the stair gate and get upstairs, you have to reconnect the upstairs and the downstairs brain. So that primitive part of us that's going, oh my God, line in the bush, line in the bush, um, yes. versus the part that's going, mm, no, it's actually just the dishes. So this is all fine. Let's calm it down. Those two bits kind of disconnect when the stress response is going. So what you were saying about not being able to think clearly is exactly that, that we get stuck in that primitive kind of fl- fight flight response Yes. And the higher centers of the brain that we can use for creativity and problem solving and kind of working out what to do, they temporarily come offline. And only once we can calm the nervous system, can we bring them back online? Yes. So what are some of the things then that you teach people to do that can help, I guess, bring us back online so that we can respond without the fight flight? One of the, One of the things I really like to focus on is breathing, is breath, mainly because we can take it anywhere. We don't need any special tools. We can do it in the car. We can do it in a meeting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We could do it at the doctor's office. We could do it anywhere we need to do it. And what happens when we get stressed is our breathing starts to get really shallow. So we don't take good belly breath. So if you look at If you look at a baby or if you look at an animal, right? If they're laying down and and breathing, they're using their belly. You can tell they're breathing from their belly. So that is how the body is supposed to breathe, right? Not that we, our bellies breathe for us, but the fact is we have a diaphragm, a muscle that's called the diaphragm under our lungs. And as it pulls down, it pushes out you know, the contents of our abdominal areas. And so it looks like the belly is breathing. So when we get stressed, we use all the muscles up here. So it's very shallow and we don't get a lot of that good air exchange. Mm -hmm. And so that signals to the body, stress, oh my God, what's going to happen? 
So a, a brain hack or a body hack is to breathe differently. Mm-hmm. And it's some people call it the 557 breath, the 446 breath. I just say you breathe in slow, you hold it, and you breathe out longer than you breathe in. Mm-hmm. So when you breathe in, like literally, you can just in a meeting, I've done, I've done this in meetings before, you breathe in and you just count to yourself on the in-breath. You're just like one, one thousand. And it has to be one, one thousand. It's not like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six. It's slow. So one Mississippi or one, one thousand, two, and you're breathing to four and you're holding it. And then you let out a breath. Typically the exhale, you want to hold for two seconds longer than the inhale. Mm -hmm. And you do that. Just repeat that process. Mm -hmm. And usually within two minutes, you're like, okay, I've got this. Mm -hmm. Because what that does is I call it a body hack because your brain is like, as soon as you start breathing slower, it totally changes the hormone levels, starts increasing the serotonin. And then your body is like, what, 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 what just happened? I, I thought I was stressed, but I'm breathing. Yeah. Calm. All right. I guess I'm calm now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing how quick it works. It really does. It really does. And I've, um, Actually, recently, I just was talking to a lady. Um, she came on the podcast to talk about um, her choice of life-changing book, which was a book called The Energy Codes by Dr. Oh, Sue I love that. Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, so many things in common. Um, so in that, um, so I was reading the book as a result of that recommendation. And then I watched a couple of talks that Dr. Sue gave. And she was actually explaining about the breath and saying about shallow versus deep breathing. And and what she said was that the nerve endings, there are more nerve endings for the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight flight one. There are more nerve endings in the top of the chest than there are in the belly part, the lower part of our lungs. And uh, for the parasympathetic nervous system, the one that calms us down, there are more nerve endings in the lungs at the bottom. So you physically activate the nerve endings for the parasympathetic nervous system if you breathe from the belly but you physically activate the nerve endings for the stress response if you shallow breathe because so what she was saying was you know if you're going in to do a presentation at work and then and somebody says to you okay just deep breaths and you're doing that with your shoulders going up she's like you are basically telling your body yeah you're absolutely right this is going to be horrendous and you are in big trouble here like you need to (laughs) you need to be scared be scared um so so she was like you know the deep breath is is useless unless it it's activates the nerve endings and it is a belly <laughs> breath um so that was the one thing the other thing was that somebody said to me about um when if you think about any dangerous situation that we would have experienced in our early evolution and we would have had to run or hide or whatever like there there is no situation where you would be in mortal danger and be able to take a deep breath. So the fact that you can is a physical indication to the subconscious mind that you must therefore be safe because if you weren't you would not you would neither have the time nor the opportunity to take <laughs> to do it. 
So, so supposedly there's the, there's a hack there as well. For- yeah, and that and it's targeting the same hack. It's right the body the body mind yeah. the body brain connection, right? Because there are certain just facts of how all human bodies function, mm-hmm. right? And so every every part of our body has nerves. And those nerves are there for a reason, (laughs) right? And there's parts of our brain that are functioning for a reason. So those are, those are, it's a simple body hack, right? Mm. Simple if you remember to do it and you remember to do it correctly, right? Because again, like if you don't do the deep breathing from the belly, then you're going to be telling your body the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So what, because one of the things that, that, I always like to look at is Mm -hmm. what do we do when it doesn't work? Like what's the next thing? Cause I I don't know about you, but I often find this where I'm like, okay, I know to breathe and I'll take my deep breath, breathe into my belly. I'll even excuse myself if it's like, you know, bath time's gone bananas. And basically it's, it's like we've had an otter in the bathroom and everything, you know, we're we're flooding (laughs) the place or whatever. And I'm going, I actually, I'm losing it now. I'm at it. Um, so I might walk away, go to my bedroom and I'll do the belly breathing. And then I'll still be like, no, I'm still blooming ticked off. You know, I asked him 50 times not to do that. My clothes are soaked. I'm soaked. And now I have to go clean the bathroom. And, and I'm not calm, even though I've done the belly breathing. So what are some of the things, because I imagine that the, the parents you work with have, very often bigger things to concern themselves with than whether or not the kids wet the bathroom. Um, what helps once <laughs> everything doesn't? Um, when it's something like that, like what you just explained, that would be more of a reframe. Okay. Right. So if it's in the moment and the breathing doesn't work and your, your, it just depends on like how serious that that level of frustration is. Um, a reframe would be looking at what just happened and thinking about, okay, on a scale, on, on my life scale, how really serious is this, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like an otter, he's getting everything wet, right? I can be super mad that I've told him a bazillion times and he's still drenching me, drenching everything. Or I can look at it and say, you know, he's able to move all four limbs independently. He doesn't, he's able to take a bath and he doesn't have a breathing tube that prevents him from getting wet. He... Like, you know, there are certain things you can say to reframe it because really he's having fun in the bathtub, right? Yeah. Some kids hate bath time and it is like kicking and screaming just to get a wet sponge on them just to do a sponge bath because they despise the water so much. Mm. So thank God my kid loves water. (laughs) Right. Really, really good point. And, and coming at it from like, so when you, like we all give out like vibrations, mm-hmm. we all give out frequency. So, you know, like 
uh, I want to say it's kind of like, you know, when your spouse comes home or when your significant other comes home and they don't have to say a word, do they, for you to know something's really wrong. Mm -hmm. They're really mad. They, you don't know why, but just how they, they don't even have to look at you. It's just how they carry their body. You just know, right? Mm -hmm. Kids are the best radar detectors on the planet earth. I swear to God, if there is one little thing that is bugging you, they'll be able to pick it up. Mm -hmm. And then they'll be like, Ooh, button, 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 button. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just what kids do. Right. Yeah. So if you go in there frustrated, your kid's going to feel it even, you know, so if you go in there and switch it, it's like, really, what is going on? Mm -hmm. Is it like, I'm feeling unheard, right? That's the me thing. That's not a kid thing. Mm. Is it, you know, what is it that's gotten me so triggered about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then to switch it and look at it through eyes of love. Oh, that's, you know, and gratitude. Like he's having fun. This is playtime for him. Thank God, right? He is willing to get wet. He is willing to allow me to bathe him if he doesn't like wash himself yet, he is able to tolerate the water. He is whatever, like all the good things you can say about it, right? To just switch your mind to that gratitude and that love. And then when you walk back in, you're not going to be putting out these vibrations of frustration and, and just blah, that he can feel. Now you're walking in with maybe happiness and joy. So he's immediately going to react differently to you because you're coming in with a different vibration, a different energy, mm. right? And then you can make jokes about him being an otter and oh, ha ha ha, after the otter plays, the otter needs to help clean up. And so make it a joint effort. So now it's not me, Ugh, I have to clean up. It's like, no. He's a kid. Any kid that can hold a towel can clean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then make it a fun game, right? The otter game was fun. Now the cleanup game. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, you know, it's interesting because um, just, just the day before yesterday, actually, my husband and I had a conversation about our son um, and how few months back I was struggling um, mm -hmm. I was really frustrated trying to get my business sorted. I was working all the hours. I wasn't sleeping. Um, mm. And I was just not taking any of the advice that I would give clients um, and, and, and getting myself into that real like <gasps> energy. Um, and simultaneously, our son was incredibly challenging, like really back chatty, really rude, like properly rude. Um, and everything was a performance, like not one single thing, not one chore or one getting dressed or brushing teeth or none of it. None of it was simple. And of course, that was exacerbating my like, I, I can't, I cannot cope. And gradually through various different things that I kind of refound my way back to and various practices a lot of the things that you're saying, the breathing, the reframing, and the just getting to the underneath, getting underneath that. Because for me, it's helplessness 
and being ignored. Those are the two things that take me right back to being a little kid. And so I behave like a little kid. Um, and the patterns come from that time. So having those tools to be able to reframe and to be able to kind of recenter myself, I was responding differently in all areas of my life, not just with him. And I became a bit more intentional, a lot more intentional actually about how I showed up in all areas. And I said, my husband and I were having the conversation a couple of days ago. And I said to him, have you noticed we haven't really had any major issues? Like he's, he's pretty compliant. He's like, yeah, hadn't thought about it. I don't know if it's a coincidence, but he seems when I was calm, am calm, and talk to him about stuff. So, you know, he's throwing the Rice Krispies on the floor and I'm like, okay, well, you're going to need a, a dustpan and brush to pick all that up. It's no drama. We throw the food away, which I, I know could be a drama. And again, I'm grateful that that's an option for us. But the absence of the drama seems coming from me creates an absence of drama in him as well. Which, Absolutely. Again, I imagine for the parents that you work with must be even more important because life, I think, potentially comes with the capacity for more drama if things that many people get to take for granted, you can't take for granted. Right, right, right. And what happens is the reframing becomes really that much more important, right? And it it's with anybody, right? Not just the, the parents I work with, but just any parent or just anybody, any person, right? So typically, if we're not really thinking about being intentional in our daily practices, if we're not thinking about being intentional about what impact or how we want the day to go, then we end up going on autopilot. So we're on, I call it, I like to call it the hamster wheel, right? So we sleep, we get up, we get ready for work. We take care of what we need to do. We go into work, we come home, we eat dinner, we do whatever, and we go to bed. Next morning, we wake up, get ready for, I mean, it's just this like day in and day out practice. And we're not, we're not using our intention to create anything different. Mm. So it gets to be a point where we have all these expectations from the past, right? Oh, yesterday sucked. Like work, work is bad. I hate this. I hate that. So we're bringing that into our present. So as we're driving to work, we're like thinking our internal dialogue is like, today's going to suck. Da, da, da. Mm. I can't wait for it to be over. So because that's what we're telling ourselves to focus on, we're basically telling our brains, there's a thing in our brain called the reticular activating system, right? So the RAS system is there for a reason. Like our brains are getting over, over, well over 1 million, you know, details of input, like by per second. And consciously we could only tell, we can only really access like 30 to 50 of those. Right. So our reticular activating systems are, are like the gatekeeper. Right. And, and, and we have to have it right. There's a reason our brain has that because there's no way on this planet that we can tolerate all that input constantly coming in. But what our brain does is it allows in what we're focusing on. So if we're focusing on how bad work is, if that is what our inner dialogue is, if we're focusing on 
worry, if we're focusing on frustration, then our reticular activating system is designed to find that for us. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, when you, I don't know, when you, when you buy a new car, let's say, and you, you buy the newest blue, like there's this blue gray, that's really cool. You like it. And you thought before you know, before you bought that car, there was no other blue gray car like that. You know, you're unique. And then you're driving home in your new car and you like see that color everywhere. Mm. <laughs> right. It's yeah. because you told your RAS system basically what to look for. And now that you told it what to look for, it's finding it everywhere. Mm. That happens all day, every day to us. So every time we have that negative loop in our head of something bad that happened or a frustration we've had, it could be from last year, it could be from when we were five. As long as that frustration or that loop is in our head, that is what we're telling our brain to look for. So our brain's going to look for it and our brain's going to find it yeah. because our brain wants to make us happy. And if that's what we're focused on, whether or not we're consciously focusing on it, hmm. that's what's going to happen. So, so a lot of a lot of the work is getting people to realize what those internal loops are. You know, what is the inner committee saying? Yeah, yeah. Because a it's lot so of times, important. right? Our inner committees are so vicious. Like we say things to ourselves in our heads that we would never say to a child or a best friend, but we will like hands down easily just rip five, six, seven sentences of that to ourselves. It's like, what are we doing to ourselves? Right? I know. I know. <laughs> it's, it's so powerful. I remember when I first, so when we first adopted, um, I, I guess the best way to describe it is I, I experienced post-adoption depression. Mm -hmm. um, and I also, the best way I can say it, like it's almost like my identity kind of crumbled. Um, like I hadn't, I couldn't call myself mom. I was being called mom. But, you know, if I think about day one, the previous day I didn't have children and then that day I was mom to two kids um, and they were calling me mom and I was like, oh my God. Um, but the, the overwhelm of that and feeling so out of my depth and so lost and so useless mm. and powerless was uh, debilitating for me at the beginning. And gradually, I guess, you know, I kept trying and wanting to do better mm -hmm. and then going to bed each night going, nope, that was another day that I have lost. I haven't connected with them and I can never get that day back. And now they're a day older. And, you know, I, you know, you know, all the things about their brains are going to wire by the time they're seven. My daughter was seven years and two days old when we met her. Um, so that window, like, you know, we were at the very, very end of it. Um, and so I was putting myself under all this pressure and panicking all the time. So it's not too surprising that the situation got worse over time rather than better. And then I started this blog called Trigger Mommy, 
which was about, you know, me being triggered, my emotions all over the place. And I started blogging about how difficult things were. And every time something happened and my emotions would go bananas, that I'd be like, okay, I'm going to write about this later. And for a while I did that and things again, didn't get any better. And I was expressing what I was feeling and blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, no, hang on. Cause my corporate work prior to becoming a parent was all about habit change and helping people find the patterns that create normal for them. And I used to talk about the reticular activating system and confirmation bias and all the kinds of things that we've been talking about tonight or today. And um, I started thinking, I've made the problem a really big focus here. <laughs> like I'm zoning in on that thing. So what is it that I want? And I thought, you know, I've created this big life. I've, I've got the business. I've got the family. I've got the house. I got all the stuff that I wanted. It's all there. It's the big life. But I wanted it to be happy and I thought it was going to be. So that was where big happy life came from. Because I was like, well, let's aim at the thing that I want and stop looking at the thing that I don't want because it's making it worse. Um, and I think that's the key, isn't it? It's like we have to orient towards the thing we want. And that's absolutely. what you're saying about being intentional. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. Being intentional. And yes, and focusing on focusing on what you want, right? Mm -hmm. Again, because that's the reticular activating system. Yeah. Whatever we're focused on, and like you experienced, good or bad, what we're focused on is what the brain will look for and what we will get, mm. right? It's like that vibration, right? When we're focused on things that are frustrating, we're putting out that vibe. So we're going to be attracting that. We're going to be in, we're going to be causing almost our kids are going to feel that. And so that's, mm. that's going to, you know, react poorly, right? Yeah. So what you're focused on being intentional, focusing on the good, right? Focusing on what do you want, the good parts of it, and then feeling like you've got that, right? Because if you're, if you're saying, oh, I want to have a loving relationship with my daughter. I hope to have a loving relationship with my daughter. Well, that puts it out in the future, mm -hmm. Right. So that implies, you know, it may or may not happen. So there's then there's that doubt. And so now what are you bringing into your quote future? Right. You're bringing in doubt, which isn't a very strong emotion. So you want to bring in like the knowing that like, oh, no, I have a loving relationship with my daughter. I have this, you know, I've got. I've got the ability, like knowing your head that you've got the ability to have it. Yeah. So that's the intention part of it. Again, you're telling your brain what to let in the gate, right? There's like mm -hmm. a million things it can be letting in. What do you want your brain to let into your life? Mm -hmm. Do you want it to let in doubt? Do you want it to let in things that are more negative in nature or more positive in nature? Mm -hmm. Right? So... That's, yeah, like intention, but intention very specifically. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Words are important, right? Words very. are important. So like yeah. try, I, I always try to get try, right? Mm -hmm. I always, I, try implies failure, 
Like, I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try to do that. Well, you can't really use the word try unless you've actually done something and it didn't work. Yeah, it's true. I remember mm -hmm. um, right when I first started my my training business, when I was still working in corporate. um, So we're talking, you know, over 10 years ago now. I remember meeting with a potential client and she said something to me. She asked me for something and I said, I'll try and get it to you by Thursday or something. And she went, oh, we don't use that word here. And I was like, um, what? <laughs> and she goes, no, we, we don't use try because you either commit or you don't. So if you need to say no, then say no, and that's fine. But if you say yes, then do it. And if you need more time, then ask for it. Don't, don't settle on try because that sets us both up to fail. And I was like, oh. I mean, A, I was embarrassed, but B, I was like, that is amazing. What a fantastic way to look at things. And, and what a difference it would make in a corporate environment where you can't try. You either do or you don't. And if you don't think you can, then you need to say so because we're going to have to make another arrangement rather than get to Thursday and then realize that it didn't happen and now we're both in a mess. Right, um, right. Or even as a parent with your child. Oh, try to run as fast as your older brother. Oh, try to do this as that. Again, you're setting up those expectations, right? And the implicit thing you're telling your child is that you don't believe they can do it. Mm. By using the word try with them, just tell them to do it. Do your best. Do your best. Yeah, rather than try your best. Yes. Mm. Because try your best is implying try just the word try Inherent in that word is failure. It's so what about what about do your best trying something new? Would that just be do something do it. new? Yeah, do something new. Okay. So he's sitting here and he's doing his homework and he's like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't. Yeah, you do can. It. Right. Okay. And specifically, if he's stuck, then specifically, what is it? Where where are you stuck? Mm-hmm. Show me. Where are you stuck? Because it's, it's like this big overwhelm, right? It's, it's like, ah, well, well, where is it? Where are you stuck? And then that kind of focuses them on this little, this little piece. Mm. So now it's not this huge mountain anymore. It's just like a little path on the mountain. It's like, oh, okay. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Guiding them to do it. Cause you know, they can't. That makes right? sense. Yeah. But when they're just like with us, right? When we're in, when we're feeling overwhelmed, we need sometimes someone to help reel us in and not look at, you know, the, you know, the 30 page report that we need to write. We just need to get like the details for the first table, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, like pull us in and, and refocus us. That's the same thing we're doing with the kids. Yeah. We're just helping them to refocus on the little steps. Yeah. Because you take one little step and you take the other little step and the other little step. And soon enough, you're at the top of the mountain and the problem's done. Mm-hmm. See, you totally could do it. You didn't need my help. Yeah. So that I guess is another tip for parents. Also, let's just break this thing down when we've gone into the big, like it's huge and I can't cope. We need to bring it to something that we can focus on that will even just get us one, one step forward. 
yes. and then take that step. Don't worry about the rest just yet. Just take the one step. Yes. Just okay. take that one step. You know, something that I've been thinking about while you were talking and actually I've been thinking about it for a, a while because it's something that for me is partly why I've managed to amass so much knowledge and still sometimes find myself really stuck and can, if I'm not very intentional about it, slip right back into depressive patterns. And it is the expectation that we have to do these sorts of things all the time. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was asking earlier, like, if the breathing doesn't work, well, you know, what else? Like, it ha- there has to be something. There must always be something. We have to be on it and we have to be positive and we have to be showing up for our kids. And we must listen. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and the thing I'm finding that lies behind or underneath all of that is, I guess it goes to what you were saying about the committee, that when you can accept the committee and yourself and the things that don't work and the days that goes wrong and that that means nothing about who you are and your worth. It's, it's a part of the human experience and you completely embrace all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying to let the committee like, you know, if you're driving a car, there can be one driver, right? So if your committee is like, oh, you're going the wrong way. Oh, you're stupid. Oh, you're this. It's like, eh, 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 eh. I hear you. You guys stay in the back seat. I'm the one driving this road. Yeah. Right. So you can develop strategies to quiet, to quiet the committee, I call it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but this is, I guess my, this is what I mean. Like it, it yeah, um, yeah. trying to quiet the committee when actually some of the things that I'm finding work better is to just go, okay, what what's going on? Right, committee, you're chirping in the back over there. What's going on? Rather than being dismissive or or attempting to shut them down. Right. Well, that say, is a way to shut them down. It's like yes, getting yes. to the bottom of it, right? It's like yes. what really is going on? Again, because it's like the committee is just another word for being triggered. Yeah. That's right. True. So what really is triggering me? Why, you know, put on that, that lab coat and no judgment. Mm. We're all human beings and we all get triggered. Right. And so if we get triggered, mm, okay. Mm. Huh. Interesting. Wow. That really <laughs> rocked my boat. Hmm. I wonder why. Yeah. That's something that at this moment, you know, I've got to get the kids to soccer. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I'm going to really think about this. What about that had me so rocked? Mm. Oh, when you think about it, right? So next time you are more aware, right? Because awareness is key. If you're not aware, then there's no opportunity for change. Yeah. But if you're aware then the next time that happens, because it's gonna, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as long as you have a trigger, life is going to throw everything in your path to keep getting that trigger going. And it's just kind of, you know, I I consider I'm God's way of helping you heal. Because Mm -hmm. you know, you've healed when that happens when that 
thing comes that used to trigger you and it doesn't trigger you anymore. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And because we're human, there's always something else. Yeah. <laughs> and know? I think that, that kind of, it sort of alludes back, it, it links back to what you said before about the um, expectations that we don't even know we have. Yes. That I think that's at that story level. Again, that was part of what I was talking about with my previous guest about this, this book and how mm -hmm. we have so much at the story level, so many of the stories we tell ourselves, and it's actually the stories that we're reacting to, but the trigger goes away when the story goes away. Or yeah, and and we can change the story, right? Yeah. So that's the deal. That's that's what we work on. Mm -hmm. We work on finding the triggers, right? And then what, like in that context, the story did you place on that? Mm -hmm. Here's the action that took place. You know, my sister said X. Mm -hmm. You know, well, what story did I then attach to that? Oh, I'm no good. I'm not heard. I suck, mm. whatever story. <clears throat> so now when anything happens, even remotely similar to that, boom, we're, we're like plopped back right in that movie Yeah, that we were at age five, six, seven, whenever it happened, right? So the awareness allows us to look at that thing that happened and to realize that story is not even true. Yeah right? That story, sometimes we find out had nothing to do about us. That thing we overheard our dad say, that thing we overheard that adult say, had to do with their job and how frustrated they were with their job. Not with us at all, but we've been spending the past 30 years thinking it was us. And we like create this whole thing around that. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's part of this whole, you know, kind of like the joy of being human. It's like the, 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 you know, I'm out in California, right? So it's like, yeah, hop on your surfboard and ride the wave. And part of riding the wave is figuring out like how to change the story. Mm -hmm. Because guarantee those triggers, that story you've attached to it are not true. Yeah. Right. And forgiving ourselves forgiveness is huge piece of it because you know so many people oh I hate myself I hate I hate that it took this long da 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 da, da. Mm -hmm. I hate that it's I'm still blah 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 it's like no 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 don't hate yourself we do what we the best we can with the information we have right mm -hmm. everybody so when we were three four five six whatever we did what we needed to do to stay alive and to keep ourselves healthy. And we did what we could do. And now we're adults. Thank God, little girl. Thank you for, for being the strong person you were. But I don't need those strategies anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Those strategies are old. They're not, they're not useful to me now. But thank you. I so thank you for, for getting me here. Mm. Now you can relax. And I'm here, so I'm going to do new strategies that are going to support us now, right? Because that little girl is still alive in you or that little boy is still alive in any guy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So and it's forgiving. Yeah, very much so. Um, and that's a lot of the work actually that I do now. Um, I use a technique called heart healing um, mm -hmm. and it does exactly that. 
where we revisit some of those stories at their core, at their root. Um, and it's really interesting when the client plays it out as to where it came from and what it's associated with. And yeah. once that all unravels and they can release the story or change the story, um, how freeing it is and how, you know, their sense of self-worth or self-acceptance or the ability to trust themselves, um, all of those Absolutely. things begin to change. And then the energy changes and they can open up in terms of relationships or mm-hmm. kind of express themselves in their businesses more effectively, all of those kinds of things. But they're attached, like you say, because the strategy that keeps them safe is one that was developed when they were two or three and hasn't been revisited since because they were unaware that it needed revisiting. Correct. Um, Yeah, I think that's because that's true in all of us. I mean, even once you know, it's still, like I said earlier, like these are the kinds of things, powerlessness and not being listened to can still catch me unless Mm -hmm. I'm really mindful because the trigger will still go off and the three-year-old will still come out. Um, (laughs) And welcome to being human. (laughs) Yeah, precisely. But at least you know, right? Then you can catch it and you can be like, okay. Right. And and it's not to say that once, you know, people learn these strategies that it's going to change like that. No, like you said, you're still going to fall off, you know, fall off the truck or fall off the bandwagon, whatever you want to call it. But what happens is that you're able to hop back on, you're able to recenter faster every time. Like the more, again, this is, this is a strategy that you have to learn and you learn it by using it. So just like riding a bike, you, the more you do it, the easier it is. And then when you get triggered, you're like, oh, no, boom, Hmm. you're back. And then it's going to be to a point where you're like, yeah, boom. It's like, you just take a deep breath and you're recentered. So every single time it's going to be less, 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 and less. Yeah. But I think we have to do that regularly, don't we? That, you know, it's, somebody said to me, these, 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 um, strategies are like a parachute you know you don't you don't test it when you're oh, no. not when you've jumped <laughs> yeah no 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 it's you use them you use them every day yeah, yeah. you use them every day for sure Definitely. again it's 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 like uh you know learning a new sport or learning a new dance if you want to get better at it you practice it regularly mm. if you you know, only had to go play, you know, pro baseball or pro football or pro soccer, whatever, only once a month, you're never going to get better. Yeah. It's the same with these activities, right? Because you're, it's a habit. It's like, what are you training yourself? Again, like our reticular activating system is active even when we're asleep. Hmm. So we are, intaking information even when we're asleep what are we telling our brains to intake that happens whether or not we're thinking about it or not that happens every moment of every living breath so we have the choice (laughs) we can choose to be intentional and focus on what we want or we can choose not to which is fine either way Right. I'm not saying one way, but there are, but there are ramifications for every choice yeah. or non-choice. Yeah. A non-choice is still a choice. So yeah. The non-choice up, is still yeah, a choice. Absolutely. And 
that is not my choice and it's not your choice, but it is a choice. And if that's what the person wants, then, you know, then that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so it's been a huge, huge pleasure talking to you before, before I say goodbye, um, Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about, um, your work, who it's for and, um, where we can find you. So I work with people who are ready for a change, who are looking to change, who know that there's something that's just, they want to, you know, think differently. They feel stuck. They don't know how to get out of that. Um, Parents who are just wanting to create a more intentional, loving environment, not get as triggered, not have a yelling match every single day of their life is what they're feeling. I can be found at melindatburkhart.com and you can email me at melbcoaching, B as in boy, melbcoaching at gmail. Like this high school? Yes. <laughs> Mel B. Um, that's funny. Yeah, because of my name, that's my nickname, Mel B. (laughs) Great. So what I'm going to do then is I will put all of those links on the show notes page. Uh, So if you're listening to this and you want to get in touch with Melinda, you can do that very easily at bighappylife.co.uk. You'll find all the links that you need there to the website and to email address and everything else to reach out. So if you're a parent, now specifically parents with uh, differently abled children, correct? Yes. So, um, yeah. So if you, but are, I've, I have had had other parents who are just like, Hey, I, I can use some of this too, but yeah. yeah. You know, that's actually, that's a funny thing because this is the other thing I find, I find with adoption is, you know, we got all this training and so many parents said to me afterwards, Oh my God, like, I need that. Right. And then back when I was adopted, that training wasn't available. That was not something my parents had gone through. Mm. So that's another, so just, I would love to have you back on to talk about your experience and perhaps some of the things you want to share with, with parents who are adopting now, the things that, you know, we can learn from. I'm kind of, I have this dream that my daughter's going to work with me and that she's going to help people understand, you know, so from her experiences, what, what to do or how, how to really connect and what to think about that parents might not know to think about for, from the perspective of the child. Um, so yeah, it would be great to talk to you about that next. Yeah, that'd be fun. That would be really fun. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been an enormous (laughs) pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, this conversation really got me thinking about how we show up as parents, how we show up in our lives, how we show up for our kids and what we kind of make visible or invisible by the ways we think, by the information we have access to, and by the things we do. And I think so much of what life feels like as a parent is determined by the kind of internal world we're able to cultivate. But no one really tells you that unless your route to becoming a parent is one that is alternative to birth or unless you encounter challenges like the clients Melinda deals with where um, your child might have different needs and you have to do things differently than perhaps you might have anticipated. But I think the things we've been speaking about today are really relevant for 
all parents, whether your route to parenting was through adoption or birth, whether your child is differently abled, I don't think those are the only situations where these kinds of tools are of benefit. I just think those kinds of situations are what causes many of us to seek out this kind of information. So yeah, if you have found this episode useful and you think even for your friends who are parents who don't have any of the same challenges or don't have any of the same considerations that they have to make as part of their parenting journey, but potentially could just have an easier time or feel a little bit more in control of what's going on by taking some of the advice that Melinda shared, then please do pass on a link to the podcast episode or possibly leave a review if you found the content really helpful. And as always, you can comment or ask questions via the show notes. You can find those on bighappylife.co.uk. For now, though, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.